Alrighty. It's always a blessing to be with you all this morning. We'll be in Romans chapter 12, as our brother mentioned, so please feel free to turn there. I will um, just say another quick prayer and offer up this time to the Lord and uh, ask that he would use me as he sees fit, and then we'll jump right into the chapter here. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your many blessings. We thank you for the time of remembrance this morning, the breaking of bread as we focused our hearts and minds on the Lord Jesus Christ, and we thank you for the time of fellowship and time of singing. Pray that you would bless the Sunday school as the children learn, and pray that you would just bless us, Father, as we're all still children in the Word, and just pray that you would give us uh, wisdom and grace to rightly discern your scriptures and rightly understand the things that you have in there for us. Pray that you would take me completely out of this and that you would just uh, speak through me to those who are hearing this morning, myself included, and that you would Help us to hide in our hearts only the things that you would have us to retain uh, from the message this morning, Father. Just thank you again for your word and the availability to it uh, that we have in this country, Father, and that we have now before us in this time ahead. Pray that you would bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. We just look at Romans chapter 12 coming off the back of um, what our brother Mark Thomas had preached on and Romans chapter 12, I'll read through the section that I'm going to cover, probably much to Casey's chagrin because we always make this joke. It's not that many verses um, because we're going kind of slowly through Romans, but I don't think we're on any sort of timetable or timer, so however long it takes us is good. And, uh, you know, there's so much to extract from some of these passages. Some of them are so rich with um, exhortation, application to today, um, things that we can take, parallel pictures, other parts of the Bible that complement this stuff perfectly. So we're going to look at a lot of that this morning. But um, as we get into this first verse, it says, I, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. And that word, therefore, kind of is a hearkening back to the things that we had just read in the first 11 chapters. So all of the things that were previously spoken are kind of wrapped up in that fact of like, because of these things, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So this section is kind of drawing on everything that we've looked at so far, but we'll look at that. Um, so I'll read through, uh, I'm going to be focusing on one through eight this morning. So I'll read through all of that and then we'll go through verse by verse. So Romans chapter 12, uh, one through eight in the ESV. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to, Think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy 
with cheerfulness. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word to our hearts this morning. So again, not a lot of verses in there, but there's a lot that we can extract from these verses. And as I touched on previously, as you look at the beginning of this verse, therefore, because of the things that we've covered previously, the things that we looked at, the mercies of God, by the mercies of God, the things that we looked at in the first 11 chapters of Romans, because of everything that God has done for us, because God gave his son for us, and Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and because we've accepted that fact and that free gift, it is our reasonable service to live our lives for him. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship in the ESV. Your rational or reasonable service is another translation there, which is mentioned as well, even in this uh, ESV. So I was thinking about that. I mean, if you have somebody who's completely rejected the free gift of salvation, it wouldn't necessarily make sense for them to commit their lives as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. But we have accepted that free gift and we have acknowledged him as the Lord of our lives. So in light of all of that, we ought to live for him. He died for us. He gave up his life. He became sin for us so that we could have everlasting spiritual life. So the, the finite amount of time, which again, when you're in it, feels like a long time. Sometimes even a day, if you're stuck at work, can feel like a really long time. But if you examine the span of our lives through the lens of eternity, it's a fraction of a moment. That should be lived in service to God because of what he's done for us and because we have accepted that free gift. And as you look at sacrifice there, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And when you see sacrifice mentioned in the Bible, typically your mind goes to the Old Testament sacrifices, whether it was bulls, goats, lambs, doves, whatever the case was, something that was owned or purchased, something that has value to the owner. If you took a lamb from your flock, that was a lamb that would have otherwise been used for food, been shorn for wool. There was value in that, but it was given up completely and irrefutably. It was given to God in an irrefutable way. It wasn't given to God in such a way that it could be taken back again. That's not a sacrifice. A sacrifice is something that's given up that you're not going to get back. You don't give it up expecting to get it back. It's irrefutable. So it wasn't held back afterwards and used for their own good. It's something that's 100% given up. I think I mentioned it this morning as we were thinking about the Lord Jesus and the breaking of bread. But we sacrifice our time on Sunday mornings. The world looks at this as Saturday 2.0. It's just another day of the weekend. You get to sleep in. You know, it's a, why would you get up early? You know, unless you had something else to do. But therein again lies the point. Our flesh, our nature would rather that we occupy ourselves with 
things that are enjoyable, relaxing, leisure time, hobbies. Maybe you would get up early on Sunday morning not to come to worship the Lord Jesus, but to do something else, to go for a run so that you can have better health, better quality of life. A sacrifice means putting away those other things that you would otherwise want to do, that your body, that your mind, that your flesh would otherwise want to do. So instead of sleeping in, you get up and you come here to worship the Lord because you know that that is the most important thing that you can do to recenter your life and your week on the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Worshiping God the Father, a living sacrifice. That indicates that we've died to ourselves. A sacrifice, again, if you think about it in terms of the death of something, something that you're putting to death. In part, whether you talk about money, whether you talk about time, you're putting that to death, basically. You're getting rid of it irrefutably. You're not expecting it to come back. So you're putting it to death. But if we're being living sacrifices, we are sacrificing that part of ourselves that would want to go do the things that our flesh and our sinful minds want to go do. We are putting that to death. We are crucifying it as he was crucified. And we are sacrificing ourselves and our time and our lives and our behaviors and our minds, everything to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are instead using those resources for him and for his honor and glory. And as we look forward to that second verse that says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. I was, I was reminded of an interesting way that Satan works. I mean, we all know that he's real and working and working behind the scenes and would love nothing else than to see us dragged down by the trappings of life. Mike mentioned the trappings, that word trappings. I had planned to say it just because it fit this passage and it reminded me, he mentioned the trappings of royalty, but the trappings of life. So when we get busy, even when we're here, our minds are tempted to wander back to the things of this world, work, hobbies, chores, worldly desires, day-to-day needs, banking, taxes, things that we have to do on our house, leisure time, anything that would not preoccupy our minds with Christ. They may not necessarily at face value on the surface be things that are sinful. They may not be things that you think about like, "Mm, that's really sinful. I definitely don't want to be doing that. They may be fairly tame, fairly mundane, but Satan would still rather us occupy our time with those things than to see us spend any time being preoccupied with the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's an actual proactive effort to make sure that we make time for the Lord Jesus Christ because if we don't, those things are there and waiting and ready to occupy our time. And it feels normal because we have to go through life. We have to pay our taxes. We have to pay our bills and work on our houses and spend time at work and do all of the normal things that you have to do just to get through life. But we have to carve out that time to be preoccupied with Christ, to make him the center of our focus. Be not conformed to the world. So don't get squeezed into the mold of the world, doing what they do 
doing it as they do. I think of Play-Doh. My kids love Play-Doh. I'm sure that Casey's kids love Play-Doh. I've seen it even in the Sunday school room. There's pieces of dried Play-Doh all over the place. But when I think of being conformed to something, you're conforming to a mold. So Play-Doh gets squished into these molds of like food or, you know, they make waffles or fish or whatever it is. But you are forming that Play-Doh into the image or into the shape of something else. It is being conformed when the kids are squeezing that dough into all those different molds. So don't let this world, and if you look at the etymology of that word in the Greek, it's really this age. Don't let this world or this age, especially as we think of age, not in terms of age as a number of our lives, but this day and age, how corrupt it is, how perverse it is, this generation getting worse and worse. Don't conform to that, but instead turn into something totally different. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, the renewal of your mind. Psalm 5110 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. David's plea to the Lord. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Colossians 3.10, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Renewed in knowledge, the renewal of your mind. And again, that's the importance of setting aside these trappings and spending time in the word and with God, because that will cause the consistent renewal of our minds. We are a new creation in Christ But spending time away from Christ and on these other things that would seek to occupy our time will not do much for the renewal of our minds as we compare it to spending time with the Lord Jesus or in his word or in prayer, meditating on his word, renewing our minds in knowledge after the image of the creator of our minds, that is God. Growing in the knowledge of God and having that closer relationship with him And you can see the end of that verse there, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And in some translations, it actually says instead, or what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The fact remains that the will of God is good and acceptable and perfect. But spending that time with the Lord Jesus Christ gives us that discernment. We have a lot of information just right within the word of God, right within scriptures that teach us what his will is, what it is that we should be doing, what it is that we shouldn't be doing, how we should be preoccupying ourselves, how we shouldn't. And we can spend time understanding those things. The rest of it can come from that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, praying to him, meditating, so that we can get an understanding of what his will is for our lives. And that is what we should be working towards doing not our own will for our own lives. That's not a living sacrifice. That's comfortable. That's going through the motions, going with the flow. That's not what we want to do. We're in the world, but we are not to be of the world. We're to be transformed through the renewing of our minds, that by testing, we might discern the will of God. As we look into the next piece of this, which gets into those spiritual gifts, you see Paul doesn't just jump right into the spiritual gifts. 
There's a, a lot of other passages in the Bible um, that talk about differences in gifts or differences in callings or differences in strengths that we have, weaknesses that we might have. And the exhortation there in verse 3 is not to think more highly than we ought to of ourselves. Again, as you look at where this verse is located, right on the precipice of talking about spiritual gifts, that's obviously the direct application. But as I read this, my mind was taken to a more general application because as Christian believers, and we've talked about this many times in the past, but as Christian believers, there's always a temptation for any believer, any Christian to put ourselves on a pedestal because we're comparing ourselves to a sinful, a sinful world in saying that, wow, look at what so-and-so is doing. I, I've never done that and I never plan to. That's disgusting. Oh, look at what so-and-so is doing over there. That's horrible. I'm never going to do that. How, how could they do that? That's terrible. So not to think of ourselves more highly in the sense of spiritual gift because I can do this, but so-and-so can't really do that well. They've got this other thing they do, but if I were to say which one's more important, you know, that's probably what I got over here. Like that's the spiritual gift side of it, which is not to be done. But also in the general sense, I think the main thing that we need to just remember, and I think we all do this, but it's a constant, constant recollection because Satan would again love to just weasel his way in there and be like, you're better than that person. You know you are. And if we start to act like that, you get that sense of piety, that sense of hypocrisy. But we're all worms. We're all sinners. We're all saved by grace. So we have that going for us, but it's not because of us. It's not because of anything we did. There's many verses in the Bible that remind us of that fact. It's because of what he did for us. So there's nothing that we can say of ourselves that's better than anyone else. You look at people in the world and don't say, oh my goodness, I can't believe they're doing that. You look at people in the world and say, that's me. I'm, I'm basically looking at another me that I wish I could go and I could save from their current trajectory to end up in hell. They may be doing a certain thing that we're not doing, but we may be doing a bunch of other certain things that they're not doing. So we can't look at anybody and say that they're better or worse or anything. They are just souls that need saving. As you look externally, as you look internally within the church, that fact still applies, but it also extends as you look here to spiritual gifts. The Lord has equipped us all with different strengths and different weaknesses. We're all different, just like no two people have the same exact makeup, the same exact fingerprint. We're all different and unique in the way that the Lord has crafted us. All members of the body with varying functions. First Corinthians takes this picture all the way to the foot, the hand, the ear, and the eye. Here it just mentions the body in verse four of the passage that we're looking at this morning. For as in one body, we have many members or parts, if you look at the etymology of the Greek. And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. 
And once again, as you think about that word body, if you were to look up the definition of body, it might say the physical body of a human being. I'm paraphrasing horrendously. But it also might say a group or gathering of individuals, a, a body, the, you know, the body of, of believers in this room this morning, a body of uh, people in Congress, a body, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a group of people as well. But I take it, I almost wonder if that phrase extended from this picture that we're looking at here this morning, because it's not like, it's not, I don't take this as like, oh, that's, that's kind of a coincidence that this is body and that's body and it's a play on words. So let's, let's, let's trump that up and let's work on that. And like that, you know, it'll be a kind of a cool parallel. I mean, I think it's really that we all make up something that can be considered an actual body with different functions that performs different functions. And that's why you see in 1 Corinthians 12, 14 to 20, it says, for the body does not consist of one member or part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So there's different thoughts here. There's thoughts, not, there's exhortations not to think of others less than you or to think of yourself conversely more highly than you ought. But there's also exhortations not to, to wish that you were what you're not. This passage actually kind of harkened back to me um, the vibes, I guess, to use, to use a word that's way younger than uh, you know, my generation should be using, but the vibes of the verses that we looked at where it says, what right does the clay have to say to the potter, why did you make me this way? Why am I created this way? We should be happy with the gifts that he's given us and exercise them for him not wishing that we had the gifts that somebody else has. Because if you honestly examine the why in why you want somebody else's gift and you follow that all the way to the end, you'll probably find a sinful reason at the end, not a godly reason. Because the godly response is to use the gifts that he's given you for him. And in doing that, there should be no reason that we would want to have a different gift or want to be like somebody else, or wish we were made like somebody else, because we all have things. We're going to look at some of the different gifts here just a little bit. Some of them are not as out in front. Some of them are behind the scenes. I think a lot of times the gift of service, the gift of, of serving, those people see things that nobody else sees, they need to be done. They're overlooked by everything else because everybody else is busy doing whatever they're doing, but these people see those things that need to be done and they quietly go do them. If those people didn't exist because they all wished that they were like the other people and they changed themselves, then nobody would do those things and they would never get done. And if those people were to say, well, I want to be like these other people, well, then why? Because you, you want to be up in front of everybody on Sunday morning? Okay, why? 
Do you want to teach because you want to, in love, share the word of the Lord with others, or do you want the accolades? Is there a sinful root cause at the end of wishing that we were different, wishing we were a different part of the body? And conversely, for those who are in those different positions, we shouldn't think of anyone else that they're in any less position because neither of them is more important than the other. They're all working together for the furthering of the entire body of Christ. So my mind, again, was just taken to that that passage that we read that, again, was more so pointed towards the entire makeup of a person. But in this case, I think it extends, at least in thought, to the way that we were given the gifts that we have. And those gifts are specific to us, and we ought to be using them for the honor and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, not for our own honor and glory or anything like that. So we have some gifts listed here, prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, giving or contribution, depending on your translation, leading, and acts of mercy or mercy. And McDonald notes that this list is not meant to be suggestive. I mean, uh, I would agree. I'm sorry, it is meant to be suggestive. It's not meant to be exhaustive. I said that backwards. Um, Because we have other lists in the Bible, and we see seven here, but in 1 Corinthians 12, 14, we can read, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. Um, I think I copied this same section that I read from before. Let me just double check. Uh, 1214. Okay, yeah, I'm sorry. I wanted to jump down to uh, 1 Corinthians 12.27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way, which we know leads into the passages talking about love. But there are other passages in the Bible that talk about spiritual gifts. So we can't necessarily look at the passage here in Romans and say, okay, that's all of them. We got, we got them all down. I think there's many, many spiritual gifts. The key is to just work in service to the Lord with whatever it is that he's given you as that gift, that you feel that that's your gift to do. And it may not be getting up in front and teaching everybody. I think it's neat, and we'll get into this in a little bit, that teaching and exhortation are actually split out differently here. It's not one encompassing thing that has teaching and exhortation in it. Because you can exhort others to do good without necessarily getting up in front and teaching. So we have the list here. We have other lists in the Bible that we see of all these different spiritual gifts. But I think the main thrust here is not, again, to serve as an exhaustive list and to give kind of tips and pointers for each one. It's basically to underscore the fact that there are all these different things. So if you feel that this is your gift, do it in service to the Lord, do it cheerfully, and do it for his honor and glory. 
Don't do it for your own honor and glory. Don't wish you were this other gift. Don't wish you could change and be something that he hasn't made you that way. And don't think that you're better than somebody else who has another gift because you're trying to put them into different tiers. Oh, that's an A-tier gift. And these other ones, these are like D-tier. And like those people have those. That's not great. That's, that's not healthy. That's not healthy. And the end root of that, if you, again, if you examine that all the way to its end, it's likely sin. So as we look at some of these gifts, as we look at prophecy, that's an interesting one, right? Because we don't, we don't really have a lot of that in this day and age, at least as, as far as what we would define prophecy as. When you consider, at least this is probably my naive mind just looking at prophecy in Scripture, but my mind goes immediately to, you know, prophetic, you know, prophetic uh, telling of what might happen in the future. You know, I, I'm, I'm going to make a, I'm going to make a claim that three weeks from now, Mike's going to win the lottery jackpot and it's going to be with these numbers. And, you know, I don't know that. Like, you know, it's going to happen though. I mean, and when it does, you know, you give me a little piece of, you know, piece of the action. But, you know, you have people saying, well, the Lord's going to come back on this day. It's going to, you know, it's got to be. I can see the signs of the times. I received a vision and it's going to be this day. And then that day comes and goes, you know. And I think it's, I think it's dangerous for us to make those claims because we have things in the Bible that tell us otherwise. No one knows when he's going to come back. Prophecy, this is how McDonald at least said it. I thought it was interesting. So you guys can take it and mull it over. But there is no inspired prophetic addition to the body of Christian doctrine today because faith has been delivered to the saints once and for all, per Jude 3. If you read, Jude only has one chapter, so 3 there means the verse. So the third verse of Jude indicates that faith has been delivered to the saints once and for all. And Strong adds that all modern prophecy that is true is but the republication of Christ's message the proclamation and expounding of truth already revealed in Scripture. So I think significant discernment needs to be exercised when you see folks adding things, trying to make some sort of proclamation as to events that have not yet come to pass. And they think that they're going to go down a certain way, happen just as they say, especially if it's looking to be doctrinal bolt-ons, things that are not in Scripture. That has to be used with discernment. But prophecy could simply be, as was noted here, a republication of Christ's message, the proclamation and expounding of truth already revealed in Scripture. And again, as there are many different gifts, as you look at not just this passage, but all the different passages in the Bible that list out some of the spiritual gifts, there may be some that the Lord used more for certain times and less for others. We also don't, you see the gift of speaking in tongues and interpretation of tongues mentioned in the Bible, but that is not a very, very widespread thing in this day and age, um, at least not that I've seen. You know, folks are welcome to correct me on that, but it's just not something that I've seen a lot. The gift of miracles, the gift of, of miraculous healings. Maybe it's in measure with our faith as we see here. Each one 
based on the measure of faith given to them. That's definitely in this passage and in other passages that talk about gifts, but there are different gifts, a myriad of different gifts that the Lord Jesus has given to us. And as you think about prophecy, those were the takeaways that I had there. I already touched a little bit on service in serving. So I go back to the passage here. If service in our serving. So service defined as ministry, I guess you could say in some, uh, in some either translations or in some thoughts as you look at that word service there. It's really any act of service for the Lord. Someone who has a servant's heart sees those opportunities that I mentioned earlier to be used of him to serve others and then does those things, not just sees them and doesn't do anything because that's not serving. That may be the ability to discern, but you're not actually serving others. You have to carry them out. You have to see and then go do. And it could be those who serve the Lord in the mission field. So going and doing, but not in the local church. You're going out into the world and doing. It could be those who are serving locally in the church, doing the small things behind the scenes, like I mentioned before. That is a gift, and I think it's an important one. And that, I think, is one of the ones that if you have a person in the church who is gifted in service and they do things and they're doing it the right way, not to be noticed by everybody in the church, but to do it for the Lord's honor and glory, before him and unto him only, quietly, that's one of the gifts that I think could fall into the category where somebody else who may be prophesying, somebody else who may be speaking and teaching every week, somebody else who may be doing some of the other gifts that call them to be more people-facing, I guess, if you want to say it like that. They may look at serving and be like, well, everybody should be doing that. Everybody should be kind of taking their part and seeing those things and doing them. But I think that's a specific gift, not to say that people shouldn't be helping with that stuff, but the ability to discern those things, I think some people have that more than others. And they work quietly and diligently for the Lord's service. And he sees those things in secret and rewards them in secret. Teaching is another one. And it's funny because if you think of gifts that people might want, maybe it's not service, but maybe it's teaching. They may want what they perceive to be the benefit of that gift without realizing that all of these gifts also have some serious responsibilities tied to them. If you are taking it upon yourself to teach the flock of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you're taking it upon yourself to sacrifice your time, as we looked at at the very beginning of this chapter, to spend in the word of the Lord so that the words that you're sharing with the flock are not incorrect, are not leading them astray, so that you're not sharing things that are doctrinally awry, but you've taken it upon yourself, the mantle of responsibility to teach the word of the Lord to others, to apply it to our lives today, to teach it from Scripture the things that you yourself have studied and prayed for discernment from the Lord. And that is a sobering, serious responsibility. I, uh, I often at work have circumstances where 
employees will come and say, you know, I, I think I'm ready for management. I, I want to be in management. It's like, okay, we can start talking about that. We can develop a personal growth plan to get you there over the course of the next, you know, couple of years because management is a skill set. People management is a, is a separate and distinct skill set um, that you have to cultivate. But I wonder at times if they're looking at the outward trappings, not to use the same word too many times, but they're looking at the office. They're looking at the, the space that you might get. They're looking at the authority that you might be able to hold. They're looking at the increased salary that you might be compensated with in one of those types of positions. But there's reasons for that because you also have significantly increased responsibility. If something goes wrong on the team, you're not able to say, oh, that was so-and-so's fault. They messed that up. It's your fault as the manager. Your training wasn't in place. You didn't, have, you didn't have your standard operating procedures up to snuff the way that they should be following after and doing the things that they should be doing. So it comes down to the manager. Having personnel conversations, difficult, challenging conversations around disagreements with staff and one another and vying for positional superiority and challenges with performance because they're not working. They don't have a solid work ethic and you have to get them to see that they're not ready for the next step. They need to continue working diligently to hone their craft. So I think that may be some of the reason. And again, the root is personal gain and, and sinful desire, especially when you look at in the church, somebody who may be wishing that they had a different gift, wishing when they're an eye that they were an ear or when they're a foot that they were a hand so to speak. As you look at exhortation, again, I wrote in my notes here that I thought it was interesting that this is mentioned separately and differently from teaching. I think sometimes when we teach, we can exhort. But when you look at exhortation, it's really someone who's able to stir up the saints to desist from every form of evil and press on to new achievements for Christ. So to stop doing evil and to continue doing good and to do more and more good. And you don't have to be up here in front of the music stand, a pulpit, whatever you want to call it, teaching to do that. You know, I think Gene Narita was extremely good at exhortation. Maybe not so much in the sense of, hey, I noticed that you're struggling maybe with a sin, or, but in the positive side of that, where she was encouraging and giving thanks and, and exhorting us on to continued spending time in the word of the Lord and in prayer and, and lifting others up. Um, and that, I think, was just a gift of hers. Like, I would just get a random email or I would get a random handcrafted letter with calligraphy from her. And that showed that she sacrificed time that could have been otherwise used to do something that she may have wanted to do because it was fun or a hobby or relaxing or turn on the TV or do whatever, and instead to write something that would encourage somebody else to do more for the Lord Jesus. Using those gifts and those, those sacrificing of those elements of our lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. But again, exhortation in our exhorting you don't have to be a teacher. And I thought that that was interesting that that's split out that way. And that's why I think there's so much granularity in the gifts. I uh, was actually looking up some passages on the gifts and I'm a sucker for Google because I can search anything. And when I find something, it just points me quickly to a passage. 
I can use the search in my electronic Bible here, but Google is just such a wide net and it'll give me the passage and then I'll close Google and I'll just look it up in my Bible. But it at least has such a more powerful search engine. But when I was looking at spiritual gifts passages, the first like 10 hits were like spiritual gift calculators. Like if you go and you search spiritual gift, they're all like how to tell what your spiritual gift is. And I didn't obviously do any of them, but like I'm sure you just punch in a bunch of things and it's like, oh, this is your spiritual gift. It's like you ask it or you answer a bunch of questions and it tells you what it is. So I think there's a lot of granularity in spiritual gifts, but I think there's a lot of danger in doing some of those things because they might, that calculator might say, this is your spiritual gift. And you're like, okay, cool. And you go down that road, but maybe it's not. I think the relationship, renewing your mind in the knowledge of God, like we looked at before, praying to him for discernment to showcase what it is that your spiritual gift might be, but not not to pigeonhole it into like a word. My spiritual gift is, is this because it was written in the Bible as this and I have to do these things and I can't do anything outside of that. That's my gift and I can't, I don't want to stretch too thin. So I, I don't want to only do that. So I think that the Lord will bring us into our spiritual gifts as we continue to walk with him and just serve him. As long as we're doing it the right way in service to him, that stuff will be apparent. Our strengths and our weaknesses will come out and we just use those things for his honor and glory, the talents and all of those things that he's given us, whether they're listed specifically and explicitly here in the Bible or not, the things that are for the Lord Jesus Christ. Giving, not just giving to the church as in tithing, but liberally giving to others of your time, your possessions. And again, as we mentioned in terms of sacrificing, this one is maybe more tied to sacrificing directly than some of the other ones without expecting any thought of repayment. So not giving, thinking what you can get back from it, but giving and giving generously because you're looking to help others who need that help, whether it's time, possessions, money, whatever it is, giving. And then lastly, we have mercy, at least through the lens of this passage. Aiding those who are in need or distress was the way that McDonald had it written in here. He also told a story that was interesting and I thought I would share it because I was trying to think of a good example on my own, but here was one that worked. So I was like, oh, I'll just share this one. So he just told the story. There's no specific names mentioned. It's very generic, but the story of a Christian lady who cared for her aging mother. So her mother wasn't doing well. So she said, move in with us. It was just her husband and her and she started to take care of her. And they met her daily needs, took care of whatever she needed. She couldn't be on her own. She had to have care, but they took it upon themselves to do that. But internally, this woman resented the fact that she wasn't able to just spend the time that she used to with her husband and just do the things that they used to do, not be able to just go out and go on a little date and not have to worry about, well, we can't just leave her here at home. Like, you know, and eventually her mother would, notice these things and say, you don't smile as much anymore. Like, is everything okay? And she started to realize that while she was outwardly showcasing mercy and taking care of her aging mother, she wasn't doing it cheerfully. And if you look at the passage in, um, in Romans there in, in chapter 12, verse eight, it says, who does, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. A lot of these passages, they actually say, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, it's the same word. 
doing this and doing this. But I thought it was interesting that this one and the one about like leading with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So that was a, it was an interesting story because it matters a lot about the heart direction and the heart alignment and not just carrying out the acts. Because if you're just carrying out the acts, is it really for the Lord Jesus Christ? That comes down to the heart as you worship him in spirit and in truth. And the one who leads or gives aid with zeal. I think leading, as you look in the Bible, would be the picture of servant leadership. It's not leading to say, oh, I'm in charge, I call the shots. It's servant leadership. There's back to the work example. The person who leads is ultimately responsible. There's a lot riding on that. Not a lot of folks want to take the leadership position. It's, it's fine in the moment to say, oh, they don't know what they're doing. Let me offer up this thought that they missed or whatever. But to consistently be looked at as the leader, the one who's responsible, the one who's directing and guiding, that's a lot of day-to-day responsibility. And you can't phone that in or it falls apart. So as we look at all of these different gifts, I think we need to keep in mind that we need to do the things that are listed here if we feel that we're given one of these corresponding gifts to, in an overarching sense, do it for the Lord, not to think of others less than yourself, not to think of yourself greater than others, whether through the lens of gifts or through any other lens as we look at people in the world, as we look at other people in the church, in our body, realizing that we're all members of a body, thinking of it in terms of an actual body, hands, feet, eyes, ears, noses, everything. With Christ at the head, that we love and serve and lift one another up. And when we do these things, gifts or otherwise, we do them unto the Lord Jesus. Let's just give him thanks this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and mercy and grace. We thank you for the opportunity to look into your word and the scriptures. We thank you for making each and every one of us individual and unique. And we thank you that that extends to the gifts that you've given us, Father, the talents. Pray that you would just give us the wisdom and the grace to use them only for your honor and glory, to hold or take back nothing for ourselves. If we're giving to give generously and cheerfully, showing acts of mercy to do so cheerfully and with a heart towards you. If we're leading in service to others, realizing that it's an act of serving in teaching with an understanding of the responsibility of the weight of that position. And just pray that you would just give us a heart of humility towards everyone around us, not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought, as your scriptures tell us. We thank you, Father, again for this time and for your word. Pray a blessing on the reading of it and the sharing of it, that you would help us to hide in our hearts the things that you would have us to to keep with us as we go forward throughout this week and the rest of our lives. We thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.